continuation of the parable of the sower. Just a reminder what a parable is, uh, at least from the best way I can say it. It helps me remember it this way. A parable is a story that takes something familiar and uses it to explain something unfamiliar or a deeper truth, which many times is something unfamiliar to many of us, okay? It's just this deep truth. And Christ realized he had to begin to bring the, unfamiliar, the familiar to explain the unfamiliar. And in this passage of Scripture, Jesus uses a harvest field. And in this harvest field, he is, he's explaining to us, I believe, that how we receive God's Word is dependent on the condition of our heart, the condition of the soil that we possess in our lives, if you will. So Jesus is helping us with this. We're going to read Mark chapter 9. I'm going to just read verses 3 through 9 and 14 through 20. We've done this each week, and, uh, and this will help us kind of get a launching pad today. But here we go. And again, remember I've said this. Jesus has a deal with hearing, okay? He wants us to hear. He wants us to listen. So here we go. Listen. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. And when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still others fell on good soil. It came up and grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times, down to verse 9. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where their word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes it away, takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no roots, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, and some 100 times what was sown. The first three dirts. Dirt number one, an unteachable heart. Now, this potentially is a rebellious heart. It doesn't have to be rebellious. In other words, they may not know that they're rebelling against God. Just clearly, it's just they very well may have a rebellious heart for all kinds of reasons. But for whatever reason, their heart is hard. Unteachable and don't even want to know the truth. Dirt number two is the unsurrendered heart. So when the plant goes down, they receive it with joy. But when the plant goes down for nourishment, when the roots go down for nourishment, they hit that hard surface again and wither and die. Starves to death, basically, is what happens here. But dirt number three is the unfaithful heart. It's that thorny soil, if you go back to the harvest field, it's that soil probably at the edges of the field that it's hard for the plow to get to. So when it turn, the plow turns, it's on that 
corner spot out there. So yeah, seed fall on it and actually pretty good soil maybe, but it's hard to till it up as much as it should. So in the middle of that comes up weeds, thorns, and the seed at the same time. And anyone who's ever tried to garden, and how many, if you've, how many of you have ever tried to garden? Tried at least. Okay, you've tried it. One of the things you realize is, is that weeds can grow faster than the plant. As a matter of fact, not only can they grow faster, they can almost grow stronger. And if you're not careful, if you don't do the right things and, and take, do what you need to do, you may have a field full of weeds. Jesus says the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, desires of other things come and choke out, making it unfruitful. Matter of fact, saying it cannot mature. The thorny ground symbolizes those who become consumed by the anxieties of this life the constant pressures of everyday life whether it's employment or education or social issues or social duties even that you are volunteering for so some of it's your social media profile just takes a lot of your time to make sure you keep your profile up right and dealing with that for other it's, it's sports club sports whatever it may be it's just trying to make sure you keep up with all of it some of you it's could he be as minimal as fantasy leagues that you've gotten yourself? <laughs> I mean, there's just so many things, right? Discretionary time. I, I, I heard not too long ago that <clears throat> today that the study was if you have an, a droid, an Android phone, you spend 50, I think it's 56, hour, 56 days a year on the phone just looking at content. Not, not texting or anything, just looking at content. If you have an iPhone, you spend 74 days a year You ain't getting no more time. Just so you know. You can lose all the money you ever had and somehow another God and through God somehow get it all back again, but what you will never get back is time. And we can say when we talk about all those things, those are distractions in my spiritual journey. Those are just distractions. The reality is, and most of you, many of you already know this, they can become all-consuming when you combine them all together. And if you mix in on top of that, as I read the Word, this hunger for wealth, then it just magnifies the distraction. You layer that on top of it. So the unfaithful heart. It's the heart that says, oh yeah, I love God. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the truth. I I, I believe all that. But it it is very possible, and this is where it's going to get tricky for some of you, it is very possible this person has walked with Christ faithfully for a long time. Jesus is teaching here that it is possible to major on the wrong things in life, to feed the wrong things to the extent that the right things wither and die, becoming unfruitful. 
And see, for whatever reason, I always, when I read this, I, I had this thought that, that the weeds come along and choke out. And that's kind of how I've quoted it over the years. And I'm really not even sure why that got stuck in my head because weeds seem to be, okay, weeds, I know what weeds are. I don't like weeds in my yard or our area, maybe in your yard too, trying to fight the weeds, keeping them out. I know what weeds are. But the, Jesus picks another word here, doesn't he? I always thought it, for whatever reason, I would quote it with weeds, but he picks the word thorns. Because weeds could just be distractions. We got too busy. The word thorn symbolically means sin. I don't know if you remember the picture. You may have seen this before. The crown of weeds. The crown of distractions. Jesus went to the cross for the, to die for our distractions. Jesus went to the cross to die for our problems we need fixed. It's not a crown of weeds, is it? Jesus didn't pick weeds to put in this passage of Scripture. He chose thorns. Some of you from a theological, you, you may argue with me either direction, and I'm okay either direction. Like I said earlier, I'm 100% convinced that 100% of my theology is probably not right. <laughs> if I knew what it was, I'd change it. But the way I understand it, dirt number three is living in a pretty fuzzy area. Dirt number three is living in a very concerning area. James 4 says this, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enemy against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God? James defines spiritual adultery. See, dirt number two, let me say this. Dirt number two, I think, maybe just dated God, dated Jesus. I know this is, this, you don't even want to think of it that way, but just, you, you know what I'm saying. Dirt number, num, dirt number two, excuse me, dirt number two just dated. Dirt number three, married. So that's the picture I want you to get here. They actually stepped into it, invested, believed, committed. Hosea 3.1 is kind of the verse you go back to here. It literally means when it's adulterous, it was a covenant relationship is what James is talking about here. James is talking about not just, hey, I dated somebody, because when you date somebody, you, just don't, you don't make a covenant relationship. You don't make a covenant promise. James is referring to the actual covenant promise 
that's been broken. Where's adultery? Yeah, I appreciate that. I don't expect to, expect to get many amens this morning. Where you become captivated by the pleasures of this world, by its influences, by its comforts, by its financial security, by its so-called freedoms. But for believers, the love of the world and for the love of God are two opposite things. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercies, offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto God. That is your reasonable or proper worship. No longer conforming to what? The pattern of this world, but being transformed morpho by the renewing of your mind. Then, and only then, Will you be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will? The literal term there, test, is to know. Approve means to embrace. To embrace God's will. But then is really important. If you've got a Bible, you may want to circle it because then you need to go back there. Just back there. Just a second, John. Because you go, okay, what did he just say? You've got to go back to Scripture. What did, what did he just say? If then is the kicker here, then is the important word, then is the transition, then what did he say right before that? Dirt number three lives in a fuzzy area. But here they are. Who's in dirt number three? Well, I'm not God, so I don't know. How did they get here? I'm not sure. I have some thoughts, and you know I'm going to share them. <laughs> but we've used this slide often here. It's the George Barna slide from many years ago. Well, not many years ago, just a few years ago. Talking about people who call themselves born-again Christians. And it's pretty interesting if you like this kind of stuff. <laughs> Look at number six, and number five, number four. Confess and ask Jesus Christ to be their Savior. Number five, commit to faith activities. Number six, experience a prolonged period of spiritual discontent, which God wants you to. I appreciate what Jeff was saying earlier. Sometimes you don't need a new place. God's just doing something right where you are, and he's about to do something and change you right where you are. But here's number eight. Man, as Henry Blackaby would call it, the crisis of belief, that moment, that time where you have a chance to choose and follow God and trust him fully. Or you can turn around and not. Choosing to surrender and submit fully to God, a radical dependence on God. 
Number nine, enjoying a profound intimacy with love, with and love for God. Experience a profound compassion and love for humanity. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's nine and ten. And he's saying only one percent of the people get there. I don't know what you want, but I'm going to tell you what. I don't want... A number five. I just don't want to just commit myself just to church activities. We talk about it in our five C's. Or I do. You may not ever talk about it, but I do a lot. (laughs) And you're in that middle C where you're convinced... That Christ is who he says he is. You're convinced that he loves you. You're convinced that he died for you. And let me say this. I believe God wants to give us a supernatural assurance that we are his and he is ours. No question about that. Don't even. I do not believe in fragile salvation in any form or fashion. I believe God wants us to know that we are his, that there is a stake driven in the ground. I believe that with all my heart. So don't hear what I'm not saying this morning. But man alive can we become complacent. Like a marriage. You're committed to the extent saying, I'll never divorce you. Well, what a commitment. Wow. The old saying, you know, I told you I love you the day we got married. If anything changes, I'll let you know. (laughs) Man, can we get there spiritually? Jesus had something to say about that in Revelation. Revelations 2, 1 through 7, to the church at Ephesus. And this is Jesus' words, John writing. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks in. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. Church activity. Good job, guys. You kept giving. You kept showing up. You kept reading you kept showing going to sunday school or whatever you might do you kept doing those things good job and he even says you hated the things that the nicolaitans did he goes on to all that but here you go you you did good you kept fighting the fight i know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that if you had and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false you have preserved and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at the first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent... I will come to you 
and remove your lampstand from its place. I think of that, and those of you who know the Old Testament, the word Ichabod written over the doorway of the church. You know what Ichabod means? The spirit is gone. Oh, y'all are still meeting. Y'all are still gathering. Good job. Y'all are still gathering big crowds. But you have this in your favor. <laughs> you hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Here's this hearing thing again, right? Jesus is up on this hearing thing. He wants us to hear. He who has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, the one, the one who lasts to the end. You know, we don't need any more starters. We need finishers. We need people that will run the race. We don't just need people who will start the race. We need people who will finish the race. Now, that's scriptural. I will give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Amen. That's good stuff. Some of you thinking you came today, and it's all just, oh, man, I feel like a 5,000-pound piano got thrown on top of me. No, we got hope. But we've got to deal with some uncomfortable things to be able to grasp hope. When I used to detail cars all the time growing up as a kid, it's hard to clean dirt that I'm not willing to see. Their number two withered quickly. And what Jesus is saying here, I think this is probably dirt number three. He is saying that it, it, it's, it's the word, you left me. You were with me. And it doesn't really suggest that they didn't love him any longer at all. It just means that their quality of love for him had weakened. No longer grateful. Simply taking it for granted. What he's saying is, your fire is going out. It's going out. You originally, remember when you got saved and you had such a burden for the lost? Remember that? Remember, you used to invite people to church all the time because you were so excited. Now you even think to yourself that church is even an option. Wow. Remember, you used to come and sing at the top of your lungs in church or wherever it is, and now you're willing to at least come and listen to other people sing every now and then. Remember when we used to take notes in church? I'm not saying it's all about this, but you used to take notes in church and you were so excited because you knew it was going to make you grow, it was going to change your life. Now you're willing to sit and listen to a 40-minute rambling for something you're not even going to apply. That confuses me too. Return. Return. Your fire is going out. 
I believe this. Go back to the five C's if you would, John. If you stay complacent too long, I believe there's a great chance you can go all the way back to indifferent. If you stay in complacent too long, that you can come to the point where it just doesn't matter either way that God speaks to you. It just simply doesn't matter to you. You're indifferent to it. You're not against God. Well, surely if I'm not against God, I'm for him. <laughs> no, you can reach a point where you just don't carry the way. But some of you, the reason why you're here is I believe that you're capped. There are many reasons for staying capped. It can be from shame. It can be from legalism. I mean, it can be from regret. It can be from fear. It can be from rebellion. It can be from a stronghold. It can be from wealth. It can be from entitlement. There's all kinds of reasons why we can stay capped and not willing to grow any further. A few of them, just quickly, one is we believe there's a sin hierarchy. We get confused that somehow or another there is a sin hierarchy, and I will, as long as my, Jan and I were talking about it this morning, uh, it's easier to look at somebody else's dirt than look at my dirt. And it's a lot easier to compare my best with their worst. I will admit, I, mean, I think it's very obvious, that some sins have greater ripple effects. I mean, a married couple can have an adulterous relationship. They can have it with someone and, versus the guy who may be looking at pornography. The ripples of it may, the, the, may look a little different, but in the spiritual realm, they're not. In the physical realm, yes, the ripples are a little different. And I give you that. But in the spiritual realm, it's which what we're talking about. In our relationship with Christ, then there's a whole different question, right? Many of us like to look at our faith with Christ more as a line. As long as I don't cross that line, I'm all right. Oh, I didn't do that. Let me tell you this. Your spiritual journey is not a line, it's a direction in the pursuit of righteousness. That's what your spiritual life is about. It's not trying to figure out where the line is so I don't feel bad. It is hungering and thirsting and chasing after God's will. And man, when you're doing that, this whole concept of, well, are you fragile salvation? You never even think about that, do you? Man, you're chasing after God. How would you have time to carry that baggage on you? That's slowing you down. And I realize even in the church of the Nazarene, the fragile salvation has been a part of our history, unfortunately. But we also almost want to push back so far that we don't want to challenge people to go, you need to look at dirt number three. I don't care how long you've been walking this out. You need to look at dirt number three. Those are Jesus' words. That's Jesus' words to the church at Ephesus. It's not mine. Some of us have the attitude that the reason why we're capped is I don't see a need for transformation. I just think everybody else needs to change to put up with me. I see the need for transformation as long as you're changing to tolerate me. Some of you, it's the tyranny of the urgent. 
so many interesting lives in your life that certain things are crowded out. Most, the most important things are crowded out. Many of us give first loyalty to second-rate things. Charles Hummel says in Tyranny of the Urgent, he said, don't let the urgent take the place of the important in your life. Oh, the urgent will really fight, claw, and scream for attention. It will plead for time and even make us think we don't, we've done the right thing by calming its nerves. But the tragedy of it all is this. While you and I were putting <laughs> out the fire, fires of the urgent, an everyday affair, the important was again left in a holding pattern. And interestingly, the important is neither noisy nor demanding. Unlike the urgent, it patiently and quietly waits for us to realize its significance. And many of us have allowed the world to define our urgent. I am amazed at times of parents. And it's earlier and earlier. They're allowing people to define for them what's urgent for their children whether it's sports or whatever. If you don't get them in here and you don't get them in here now, and if they don't spend this amount of time, they've convinced you you're cheating your children's future if you don't do this. Some of us, it's marginalized lives. It's not necessarily the urgent, it's just packed. You've heard the expression, I've got too many irons in the fire, where some of you just got too many fires and not enough irons. (laughs) Richard Swenson says this about margin. He said, rightly conceived, it is not about laziness, mediocrity, and non-involvement. It is about focus. It is about discipline and self-control. Does that sound biblical? But mostly it is prioritizing space where we concentrate on the things that matter most. Folks, we need to listen to Jesus here in this parable. We need to figure out what is most important in life. When was the last time you sat down with your spouse and listed what are the five most important things in our life and let's dedicate ourselves to getting there? If you're married, single, same way. Again, the whole idea behind margin is not quitting doing stuff. It's prioritizing the space, the time, the money to do the things that, are ma- that matter the most happen. The problem is most of us don't know what matters most. If we did, we wouldn't be spending 74 days a year on the phone looking at content. That 10 years ago, you wouldn't even have been able to do. But now you do. And now I do. Psalm 66, 11, 12 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. 
I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. Please give me an undivided heart. And the last one I would mention here Again, there's, you could list 20. You can take out some of them I'm mentioning. But I think the other one is we're widening the road. We're widening the path. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 13, 14, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many, many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few that find it. Man, that, that should make you stop. Those are Jesus' words again. We start walking this road with Christ, and we hope it gets wider. The reason why the stepladder is here, as I've shared with you before, when we come to Christ, the Billy Graham thought is, I mean, the Billy Graham, in my opinion, I think it's him, it says, at the cross, the ground is flat, it's level. All of us come at the same place. No matter your social, no matter your, it doesn't matter. And then God begins to stretch us, right? If you know the illustration I use here, God's rungs are further apart. He stretches us. In crisis of belief, Henry Black, he stretches us. He stretches us. He stretches us. And boom, we get to that next place. We get good and firm. And we get good and firm. We get good and firm. And then boom, he stretches us again. Boom. But somewhere what happens is we get capped. We're not willing to move to the next place. We're not willing to trust him. We're not willing to follow him. But this is what I want to say to you about wide and narrow. One thing, reason I love using... Because the stepladder gets narrower as you go. Let me tell you why I believe that is. It's because you become more fo focused. And the more you follow after him, other things just don't fit. They just don't fit. When I first became a Christian, one of the biggest challenges I had was, was I was watching other people. I didn't have a mentor. and you, I didn't have a, somebody disciple me. And you, you may say, well, it shows. Okay, I get that. I get that part. You may say that. So I've watched other people. I'm a people watcher. I love going to the airport. I just love watching people. And just, I, I'm a people watcher. I watch you on Sunday mornings. I'm watching you. No, I'm just kidding. But really, I do. And so I've watched, and especially as a new believer who really didn't have a good basis on a lot of different things, I just watched people. And what I came to the conclusion was people were not trying to narrow the road. They were trying to widen the road. They had full-blown construction crews out <laughs> trying to widen the road. And you say, well, you shouldn't judge. All I was doing is trying to figure out how, how are they walking this out? How, how are they doing this? We have all kinds of different ways to try to ride, widen the road, don't we? We take, even take something that is a prayer request and turn it into gossip. We just want to widen the road because we feel good about gossip. One of the things that jumped out to me early on was the whole concept of alcohol. After 10 years of hard drinking, 
And yeah, I read in Scripture, and I can go with that. I mean, I mean, not for me personally. I don't drink, but I can see a glass of wine, and you can say, well, Jesus had wine, all that kind of, And I believe that, that, that that's, there's, there's room there to talk about that. I'm not saying that, but I'm telling you there is no footage for, for drunkenness. So you take one thing that you believe there's room for, And turn it into something else. We, like I said, I have great friends who drink wine or beer. Water. I'm not trying to define that right here today. I'm not saying it. But drunkenness? You can't find it. Matter of fact, some of the worst things that's happened in scriptures around drunkenness. And you qualify it as, I'm free in Christ. There's a lot of them. And I'm working through my own. I'm just saying early on it made no sense to me. Take something that Scripture says maybe and then go, but I want it this. No matter what the Word says, I want this. Now that could be because you're capped. could be because of an addiction. It could be for all other reasons. It could be because peer pressure. It could be for a lot of, a lot of different reasons. We do things, and that, just take that off. I'm not even talking about that anymore. I'm just talking about what have we taken? Even in con- God's context, it's good. It may be good. Then we widen it. And I believe if we stay in the mindset of narrowing, of, not, of, of, of taking the narrow road and making it wider, there's someday we won't even be able to distinguish between the roads. And yes, it's hard to preach this message. And I realize if this is true, what we're talking about here today, there's some folks in real trouble. I'd rather preach on love and peace. You're okay, I'm okay, we're all okay. To some degree. But I don't think I can be your pastor, or I shouldn't be your pastor. I'm sorry, I shouldn't be your pastor. It disqualifies me from being your pastor. If that's the only thing I do each week. I believe in a great hope. But what does Jesus say at the word to, to, to the people in Ephesus? Repent. But see, the word repent has been taken out of our conversation, even in churches almost, because it makes us feel uncomfortable. But, but Jesus said it. To have remorse. To be broken. You know what it literally means? It means to not only turn to God, but to agree with Him. How about that? God, I see what you see, and I agree that it does not fit. Think about that. It's not just, oh, dog, don't, I got caught again. I tripped again. It means literally stopping, turning to God, 
going, God, I see what you see. We agree. I'm sorry. I'm broken. And I am going to try to turn and change the best I understand it with your power. And the warning is repent in with Ephesus or I will come and take your lampstand. I will come and take your light and it is gone. Not my words, his words. I realize there'll be about half a crowd sitting here next week than this week. I get it. But I'm telling you, I believe with all my heart there is freedom. The gate to the narrow way, the small gate is through repentance. It was from day one. It continues throughout. This pastor needs to be repenting. We need to be repenting, each one of us. But the gate is that. Because what I love about the Hebrew word, Hebrew word for repentance is teshuva. means to return back to. It means if I repent and I follow after him, he returns me back to my first purpose in the first place. I just don't want a salvation that runs hot or cold and makes me feel guilty most of the time. It just gets me to heaven. That's awesome. But I want one that gives me life. I want one that takes me back to my primitive health of what he designed for me, and he begins to live that out in my life. That's what I want, and he promises it. But you're not getting it. Their number three lives in a fuzzy area. Matter of fact, it may not even be fuzzy. And again, I know theologies will clash here. Some will say, well, they never were saved. Some will say, well, they lost their salvation. Whatever you want to say. All I can say is people are in danger here. Wherever it is. Regret. There's a lot of things I think we regret. But I love this saying, regretting yesterday's one thing, but regretting tomorrow is a whole different thing. Because there's something you can do today about tomorrow. One of the hardest parts about letting go of things that should not be in our lives, or at least managed. I'm not even saying they shouldn't even be in your life. But they've consumed your life in place of. Some of them need to go. Some of them just need to be in the right perspective. Because they fit your priorities. They fit your values. But some of you need to burn some bridges. And what I mean by it is if a Christian shouldn't burn bridges. Yeah, I think there's some bridges you need to burn saying, I ain't never going back there again. That bridge just needs to be burned. I gave my life to the Lord many years ago, and just saw you guys come on down. The invitation that day was a song. An old hymn saying, wherever he leads, I'll go. Take up my cross and follow him, I heard my master say.
take up my cross and follow him. I had no clue what that meant that day. But there is a point. You know, undecisiveness is one of the greatest cripplers in a person's life. Tremendous crippler. You know, the church at Laodicea, the straddling the fence thing, one foot in the world, one foot not. Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, you know what he says? He said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. But since you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I'm going to throw you up. That's not my words. Some of you got to reach a point. I was out at Camelback Mountain not too, well, it's been a couple years ago, trying to jump from one rock to the other, mountain, river rock climbing. And there was a point where you had to leave this rock to get to the other rock. You couldn't do this. Okay, okay. Couldn't do that. And the drop was about 30 feet if I didn't make it. But the last thing I wanted to do is get out there, hung out there. Then you don't know which. Then you're like, how did I even get off this? There was a point. Unfortunately, I was harnessed in, so don't think I was just a complete idiot. But there was a point I had to leave one rock to get to the other rock. That's where some of you are. It's time to come back to the rock. It's time. Would you stand with me, please? There's sometimes when I preach, I have a dread and enjoyment at the same time. And I don't mean enjoyment as in, I get to take out the big hammer today. Man, that's not it. It's the enjoyment of knowing that I not only can come today and share with you what I believe Jesus' word says, but I can come today and give you hope. It starts with repentance. I just want to let you know, this pastor has to continually, that's the reason why mercies are new over and over, because every day I had to be before him dying out to myself. I die daily, Paul says. This is not a one-time, one-shot. I don't mean like fragile, I had to get resaved. I'm just saying, I have to come each day and lay it down. And I'm still trying to get better at this. And I believe this, until I see Jesus face-to-face, he's still going to be working on me. You don't have a perfect pastor. You already know that. But I want you to know, you don't have a pastor who thinks he's perfect. I am convicted. And I hope compelled. Christ's love compels us. And I hope that for you. These altars again are open today as we close. For you to come and pray. you're in dirt one dirt two dirt three or dirt four we'll talk about next week we're all in some dirt (laughs) lord help us right now as we listen to the song but most of all if there is no song we want to listen to your spirit lord you say he who has ears to hear hear what the spirit has to say Lord, your word says 
The condition of our heart tells us what we will do with your word. Not even a pastor's word, not even a a denomination's word, but your word. And Lord, I pray today that people don't walk out here just hearing one thing and hearing legalism or whatever. Lord, I pray that they hear what you want them to hear today. And wherever we, including this pastor, have tried to widen the road, Lord, let's bring it back. Focused, and as you narrow it, Lord, you will define and you will hone us to be everything you want us to be. But Lord, today, repentance may be, for some here, the place to start. Lord, we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You come if you feel led this morning. Be a part of this time. God bless you.